The reading can be found on page 1085 in the Church Bible. Hear the Gospel according to John, chapter 17, verses 1 to 5. After Jesus had said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Father, as we look into Scripture this morning, we look at one of the most holy places. And I pray that we may come to you with humble hearts, searching to listen and to learn from you. For Jesus' name's sake, amen. Please do sit down. This chapter, which is to be the basis for our sermons right through until the first Sunday in uh, September, throughout the summer, is one of the most profound chapters in the whole Bible. You and I are invited to eavesdrop on Jesus, the Son of God, talking with his heavenly Father. I always felt, I remember as a youth, that this should have been called the Lord's Prayer, and what we call the Lord's Prayer should have been called the Disciples' Prayer, because we are all disciples. But Jesus opened the Lord's Prayer, our Father. He was uniting himself with us. But this is a very special period in Jesus' life indeed. And in these verses, we read the word glory five times. And yet, although the cross isn't mentioned, it seems to be surrounding the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is late on the Friday evening, or Thursday evening, I should say. And on the Friday, he's going to be crucified, as the Scriptures tell us. What is the meaning of glory to Jesus? It's totally different from what it means to us about film stars or pop idols whom the world idolizes and parades on red carpets. John Stott said, glory in Scripture is the outward shining of Jesus' inner being, the outward shining of Jesus' inner being. On the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus went up this mountain with only three of his disciples, 
we read that those disciples became fully awake when they saw his glory. This was the only time during Jesus' short period of three or three and a half years with the disciples seen in his heavenly glory. And, as I said, only by three. And they were told not to talk about it until after he had risen from the dead, which they didn't understand. What an experience for them it must have been. Earlier in his gospel, John writes this, The Word was made flesh, and his, was his, sent his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. If you want to see God, look at Jesus. You want to know God, read the Gospels about Jesus. So those words right from the opening chapter of John's Gospel are, are quite remarkable. In the very next chapter, John shows us at the wedding in Cana of Galilee where he turned the water into wine. You all know the story so well. And at the end, it says this. This is John's comment. This the first of his miracle, miraculous signs Jesus performed and thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. So we get the word glory again. The writer to the book of Hebrews, looking beyond the present, tells us, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. And this is what he prayed for to his father. We read these first five verses of John 17 and see it, what it's all about, the unique father-son relationship and our relationship with God through his plan for our salvation as Adam taught us last week in the first of these sermons from John's Gospel, chapter 17. The Last Supper is over. It had been a pretty sad affair. Not the joyous remembrance of the children of Israel being brought out of Egypt in what we call the Passover, but it had been a time when the host got down and washed the disciples' feet. It had been the time when he said, one of you is going to betray me. Is it you? Is it you? Is it you? Must have gone round all the table. It was not a happy supper. But at the end of chapter 14, we read, come now, let us leave. And it is probable that they left the upper room and walked through the temple precincts where the last two chapters were, were written, chapters 15 and 16, or written about, and then on down into the Kidron Valley and up the other side to the Mount of Olives. So they were probably in the temple precincts when Jesus uttered this prayer to his Father, because in the very next verse, the next chapter, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with the disciples, 
crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. And he starts off the prayer, the hour has come. Slightly strange thing to say until you know the context. The central hour of the whole of history, this focal point of God's eternal plan, this hour had come. Four things about glory in these first five verses of John 17. Glory is linked to this hour. Five times before this in John's Gospel, we read of Jesus saying in one phrase or another, my time has not yet come. Right at the beginning, John chapter 2, we referred to just now, where Jesus made water to wine, and his mother said, do whatever he tells you. And he had said to her, woman, a loving expression, my time has not yet come. And so it was four more times in the gospel, Jesus says this. Now he turns to the Father and declares, Father, the hour has come. God's eternal plan is coming into fruition. So Christ's glory is linked to this hour. Secondly, Christ's glory is linked to his completed work. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do, Jesus says. <coughs> Excuse me. In his gospel, Mark records the reason for Jesus' coming from his own lips. He said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And the terrible chapters that follow about the trials of Jesus and the crucifixion Chapter 19, verse 30, we read, When he had finished the drink, Jesus said, It is finished! Father, the work you gave me to do is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. So it was a completed work. Thirdly, Christ's glory is linked to his eternal gift. You granted him authority that he might give eternal life to all you have given him. Earlier we read, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And in John's epistle, the same author but nearer the end of the New Testament, this is love. Not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That was the hour. That was the reason why Jesus came. And he was going to get glory from it and on into heaven. And fourthly, Christ's glory is linked to his ascended triumph. The cross was not the end 
of the Son of God. It was the end of his human life at that stage. But again and again and again we read in the early chapters of Acts and in many of Paul's writings, God raised him from the dead on the third day. During the Last Supper, Jesus had said to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And in many sad areas of Christianity, you hear of people saying, oh, there's all sorts of ways to God, and Jesus is one of them. No. Jesus is the new, unique, exclusive way to the Father, and it was through the cross. Knowing that after the cross he was going to go home, Jesus started this prayer, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Apostle Paul writes of Jesus, glory back in heaven. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus got glory to his Father by being obedient and offering his life as a sacrifice. As we read on in Paul's writing, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, glorify me in the presence with the glory I had with you before, and now we read that God is, has done just that. So what? For you and me today, the 23rd of July. When Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, he started with, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The words we shall use shortly in the Eucharistic prayer. In all our praying, we should always, always, always start with God and put him first in our lives before we come to our requests. Hallowed by your name, hallowed be your name, glorious is your person. And the prayer ends, yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Therefore, it is right for you and me to start our prayers honoring Jesus, the Son of God, that he might have all the glory. Think on. We've got a few more Sundays when we're looking deeply into this wonderful prayer. Father, the time has come.